You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. What's up, watchers? Welcome to a new episode of the Midnight Watch Podcast, a podcast where we discuss these movies that we all love, secretly love, and love to hate. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Josh, and let me just warn everyone to buckle up, because we're in for a wild ride today. That's right, Jeremy, and just a reminder, we have a mostly solid rule to review movies that have been around for at least 10 years or more. We also like to rate these movies in three categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? And number three, for personal enjoyment. Okay now, hey, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Jeremy, what epic, legendary film are we trotting out for the kids today? Speaking of trotting, dust off those saddles, boys and girls, and grab your musket and your tricorn hat. We're taking you back to 1776 by way of the year 2000. Whether he's driving through a post-apocalyptic wasteland or rocking a kilt, no one screams, freedom! <clears throat> Sorry, that that was more of a 1980s hairband. No one screams, freedom! Like this guy does. My fellow watchers, put all your hands together for the red, white, and blue epic film, The Patriot. Merkel! Heck yeah! Woo! <clears throat> all right. Monster yeah. trucks. Monster okay. trucks. Okay, let's see here. PBR. PBR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paps and maps. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> you may got any Keystone? <laughs> right. Keystone light. We don't want a real beer. We just want Keystone. That's right. All right. Let's jump right into this. So, um, let's see here. Josh, what was the first time you'd ever heard of this movie? Uh, definitely when it came out. Uh, actually, I never saw Braveheart, uh, which came out, I think, in 95, 96, somewhere in there. Um, and so I never saw that when it had first come out. So I kind of caught up on a lot of Mel Gibson in general, right around 2000, 2001. So I don't remember specifically seeing this movie. I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in theaters or anything, but I was definitely a big fan of his when, you know, when it was came out and, uh, rented it or what and whatnot. Yeah. I, he's kind of funny. He said rented. That was the first time I ever heard of this movie. It was I was in a, I think I was in Blockbuster Hollywood Video, and I saw the front cover of this, and I was like, "What is that?" And I saw it. It, it was it had come out this year, and it was rated R. And of course, I wasn't allowed to watch this movie, so sure. I I saw it several years later, and then it was a strange turn of events that kind of became the movie that we watched during the for the Fourth of July, even though this is a very bloody movie, and so you know how Dad normally. Uh, doesn't watch bloody movies or violent movies, but he right. like this one. But actually, I have a, I have a theory why he liked this one. Okay. So, you want me to go into the theory right now? Oh, please. Okay, so, this movie is a melodramatic drama movie for sure. So, it's, oh, yeah. it does have sequences of violence in it, and uh, it really pulls the heartstrings on different times, but at... At its heart, it, it is like a PG-13 movie with R-rated violence in it. So, it's that's, yes. how I, that's how I see it. And I think a lot of it has to do with Roland Emmerich, the director. Because he's he was like the master at blockbuster movies in the 90s. And his style really hasn't changed. I think just that moviegoers have kind of grown out of his style of movies. Right. So, Yeah, I totally agree. I've, I felt like the violence in this movie... I mean, at the time, I remember it was just like, whoa, that was that was gruesome. And now, I think, like we were talking before we started recording, just about how even the new Marvel movies or DC, I mean, there is an, an incredible amount of stylized violence in it. And granted, in this movie, it's depicting real people being blown to bits and blood everywhere. But still, violence is kind of violence. And mm-hmm. it, it's I don't think it's that violent by today's movie standards. In fact, I'm gonna let my girls watch it and they're younger than the 
appropriate age, you could say. So it's, I think they could totally handle it. Yeah, I think besides, well, we, we did discuss this briefly beforehand. Besides the, there's two cannonball scenes in this movie where somebody gets their head taken off with a cannonball. That's like less than a second long. And then you see two people that get their knees knocked off. That's probably the, the worst scene out of the movie. But right. ratings, the way the rating system has changed. And like you said, basically, if they took all the gunshots in this movie and made them less like blood splurting, it would be more of a PG-13 movie. Oh, yeah. So, because like Minority Report, which we already reviewed, and if you missed that, you should check it out. Um, but that one is definitely, I think, was pushing the R, the PG-13 rating in certain, like the opening sequence in that movie. Sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. So this riding one. That, riding that line. Riding the line, yeah. Uh, PG-15, in my opinion. But <laughs> I, I definitely think that this movie was, yeah, they, they could have toned it back a little bit. Because I, I don't remember it being as violent as other as other war movies, for example. So this is like the most friendly R-rated war movie that I've seen so far. I agree. That I can, that I can think of right now that might change in t- in 20 minutes. So Sure. Well, when we compare it to the Matrix later as we round <laughs> right. to right. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, nobody does a tomahawk scene like the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Remember that part with Neo? <laughs> right. And Neo was fighting the Brit- the Brits. So, let's see what else we got here. Uh, it was directed by Roland Emmerich, a German director who appeared on the scene in the early 90s. I believe his his first American movie was Universal Soldier. And then I think his first... I don't know if... He did Stargate as well. Another Kurt Russell movie for you Kurt Russell lovers. That's right. David Spade was in that movie. David Spade. David Spade was not in that movie. No, uh, no, no. Uh, Spader was in that movie. David Fan- Spader, yes. Yes, fantastic actor. And anyways, it's a pretty good movie. But the movie that he became probably notoriously famous for, Roland Emmerich, the director, was Independence Day in 1996. Everybody was talking about that movie when it came right. out. And I think to this day, it's probably still his most famous movie. Oh, no doubt. I completely agree. And then he did, uh, after that, he did Godzilla, and then he, which was uh, another blockbuster-style film. And then this was the, he's done movies in the past, like smaller films that were not, big blockbuster movies but this is his bread and butter and so the patriot was probably more serious than his other movies sort of right but i can see it well i mean you said it it's it's so much melodrama yeah in this movie and that's i don't remember any of that in independence day <laughs> right yeah i mean a little bit when the dog jumped in slow motion to then they say because everybody dies except for the dog that's an that's an unwritten Hollywood rule there. Like, don't <laughs> kill the animals. Right. We don't want PETA on us. Right, right. No way. So, I've got, I have a little bit of a rabbit trail and I don't know if All I'm right. going to be I don't know if I'm going to be super nice to this movie today, but um, so okay, I think a lot of the issues from this movie stem from the writer Robert Rodat. I think I said his mm-hmm. name right. Sorry if I didn't, even though I'm about to say not nice things about you. <laughs> um <laughs> But he is most notably known for being one of the writers of Saving Private Saving Private Ryan, which came out two years before this. And I think that's what netted him this job. Because before sure. this, he had only done like Fly Away Home, a family movie that was well-received, and some some other family films. But I, I think Saving Private Ryan, though, was definitely a better movie because of the other two writers, which was Scott Frank, who also wrote uh, Get Shorty, The Lookout, and... Logan, the movie from two, 2017, excellent movie right. there. I mean, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, we're not. Oh, we're not going to review that movie because it's sooner than ten years. That movie's freaking right. brilliant. Until we break our own rule, because that movie is so awesome. Yeah, we might have to break our own rule later. So, and then also the third writer from Saving Private Ryan, Frank Darabont, who is probably most famously known for writing and directing The Shawshank Redemption. So, yeah, those are bangers. Yes. Yeah. Those are solid, solid films. So the writer, Robert Rodat, I think since he is credited as the sole screenwriter on this movie, and I think that this was a lot of pressure on him to be like a breakout role for him epic wise, and I sure I don't I don't think he quite hit the hit the uh, home run on this one. It looks like no. he had submitted the screenplay seventeen times before it was accepted. Right, and I'm not I'm not all up on screenwriting and how many drafts people 
typically submit, but that seems like a lot. And maybe we're way off. Any screenwriters out there want to set us straight? Right. Uh, please let us know. Yeah, but, I was, yeah. That that seems ridiculous. I was about to say the same thing. I know too. Also, like if somebody else writes the screenplay, and then somebody else comes in and rewrites like half of it, then the first person doesn't even get a um, a credit at all. So screenplays sometimes, yeah, are rewritten multiple times. But I agree. I don't know what's the norm. That does seem like a high number. Right, and that's one guy because we we've all heard of screenplays getting reworked by numerous people. Like you said, somebody else jumps in and redoes it, and this and that. And, that seems to be pretty typical, but one person rewriting it, that's that's a lot. They must have had a lot of faith in that guy, too. That's true. I wonder, yeah, I wonder who he was related to, but we'll, right. we'll, we'll see on this. <laughs> um, this is another, uh, another score by John Williams, and I definitely, I did really like the score in this movie. It has a very haunting yeah. theme song that goes along well with Mel Gibson's character of being haunted by the sins of his past. Yeah. Um, almost any time in this movie where there's something emotional happening, he is John Williams just kills it. I mean, yeah. it just grab the tissue, man. It is this is such an emotional movie, and he was John Williams is such an excellent writer to to convey emotion. I I totally agree, and I have to say I think John will. Here's okay, so I think the this movie made me tear up like three or four times in this movie, dude, and. Yeah, yeah, like the feels, <laughs> um, it, which is so funny because this movie made me tear up. Like it really hit me, and then there's other times where I'm cringing because the dialogue is so bad. Sure. So it it goes the full Monty on like back and forth with right. b- between being like really great scenes and then other scenes where you're like I've seen this before on the Hallmark Channel. So right. Um, yeah, I can't wait to get into uh, breaking down. Our, you know, our thoughts about it because this there's a lot of that there there is a lot of the, the emotional stuff that i do not remember experiencing the first time i saw it because i again i didn't have kids at the time and yeah. watching this movie as a father is totally different which and maybe maybe that's another reason why dad liked this so much because the father angle on this is oh. in, incredible oh yeah this movie is not about the revolutionary war this movie is no. about one character one father and his family right which in a weird way i don't really feel like this movie is a very patriotic movie because you don't really even know why the revolutionary war is being fought they give you one scene and that's that's pretty much it but i I will say this though the movie does know what it's going for like it's it's not meant to be the end-all revolutionary war movie which i thought i thought it was i have not seen this movie in a long time and then i I, you know, we watched this for the, the review and I was like, wow, we got a lot to talk about. So, right. all right, let's get through some of the yeah, intro give me stuff. Some, give me some more, uh, you got any more trivia? Uh, tidbits? Yeah, I got a little bit more tidbits here. So this movie was, uh, let's see here, starring Mel Gibson, Heath Ledger, uh, Jason Isaacs, and uh, a bunch of other people. But then I, one thing I wanted to, a couple shout outs to is, uh, let's see, Tom Wilkinson does oh, not... Yeah. Uh, he uh, he's a he's one of those actors that's just in everything, and he's a great actor. And he was I didn't think he was given that much to do in this movie, but uh, oh, I like, a, it was a cakewalk for him. His caliber, <laughs> that's true. It was it was nothing. This was just like show up. All right, let me spit these lines out. And I'm gonna go home. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I will say I'm going to butcher this guy's name, and I apologize, but I believe it's Cheeky Caro. I should have looked this up before we started this. The, I think I think this is what we do on the Midnight Watch podcast. I think we butcher names. <laughs> we wing it and butcher it. Yeah. Yes. Um, he is a fantastic actor, the Frenchman in this movie, and I normally only see him as a villain. So it's really cool right. seeing him as a also a family man and a very good good guy in this movie. Right. And then also, I did not know this. Uh, Logan Lerman is in this movie. And for all of you people who know exactly who Logan Lerman is, he's one of the stars from the new. Amazon Prime movie or show Hunters. I think he, he's in that movie, that show. And then also he's uh, Percy Jackson from the Percy Jackson series. So that's right. He's been around for a while. Right. But he's like a little, little kid in this movie. So when I saw his name, I was like, hey, I know who that is. He's also from Perks of a Wallflower. Yep. Which uh, a lot of people like that movie. It's a good film. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And then the movie, the. I'm trying to look at right now, other people. Well, Donald Logue, 
um, I don't know if people, if you're a Sons of Anarchy fan, he shows up in the either the second to last or the final season as a uh, ex U.S. Marshal or something like that. And then uh, probably most recently, and maybe most notable, if you are a fan of the show Gotham, he is. Uh, hang on, I just forgot his character's name. Plays uh, Jim Gordon's uh, detective. Yeah, I believe his name is Detective, not Jim Gordon. Yes, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Cleared yeah. it up. Yes, nailed it. And it, also, Chris Cooper is in this movie. Who is right. was was in he he tends to always play the politician type of character. Uh, yeah, very good character, very good character actor. And right. then fan what favorite, a great voice. I love his voice. I do too. Yeah, fan favorite here. Uh, Adam Baldwin is in this movie. From yes, some say the the favorite Baldwin. The favorite, yes. Some and say the the yeah. This guy does not age. I, I swear he looks the same that he did in Stanley Kubrick's movie. Totally blanked on that one that he's in the Vietnam movie. Oh, full, full metal jacket. Yeah, full metal jacket. And then he's of course plays Jane in Serenity and Firefly. Right. And then he's in Chuck, another great show. Right. So yeah, that dude, that dude's a stud. He is. He's just good. I mean, he's good in everything. Right. Oh, uh, I forgot. Because I was going to bring this up too, the French guy who I will not butcher his name. You did that just fine. Oh, let me let me do it for you. Uh, do it again, Chicky Caro. Yes, beautifully done. <laughs> to to Chicky to Caro. Sorry. <laughs> Take another sip there. It's getting yes, better. Absolutely. Oh, oh alcohol. Okay. Best. Any. <laughs> anyways, he's the villain in my favorite Jet Li movie, Kiss of the Dragon. The yes. dirty dirty cop, French inspector. Yes. I think that's the only other movie I've seen him in, actually. Yeah, I feel like I've seen him in something else, but for sure, that one. Because I, I watched the heck out of that movie. Oh, that scene with the chopsticks? Is, oh, man. Man, the chopsticks, the, the, the pool. The pool ball? Pool balls, yeah. So oh, many good scenes. The dude that he fights. The shrimp, the the shrimp crackers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you got, you got everybody. Bridget Fonda's in that movie? Bridget Fonda, I know. All right, let's talk about more movies that we're not reviewing right now. <laughs> hey, and yeah. don't forget, folks, we will circle back around to the Matrix. Right, yes. theme. The Matrix will show up eventually. All right, hit me, hit me with a couple more facts, and then we'll okay. move on. Okay, let's see here. Okay, so the budget was $110 million, and it made $215,300,000. So this movie definitely was a hit. Um, I, from what I understand, like a lot of a lot of people quite enjoy this movie and still enjoy this movie. So I think this is, sure. I don't think this is one of Mel Gibson's finest movies, but it's definitely a movie that you think of when you think of Mel Gibson. Not not as much as like Braveheart and sure. Payback or uh, Lethal Weapon, of course. Um, right. So I think that's about it. Before we jump into the synopsis, let me check my notes. Yeah, no, I think that's a uh, that's about. Let's get right into that synopsis then. Sounds good. So this one, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I tried to write write it down as short as possible. This is a very long movie. I mean, it's it's pushing at three hours. So trying to write a synopsis that doesn't take me twenty minutes to read to you. Uh, I did leave out some some parts, some characters, so don't freak out. Uh, this is just to give any of y'all who have not seen this and don't really care to see it, you at least have an idea what we're talking about. So here we go. During the American Revolutionary War in 1776, Captain Benjamin Martin, a veteran of the French and Indian War and a widower with seven children, is called to Charleston to vote in the South Carolina General, General Assembly on a levy supporting the Continental Army. Fearing war against Great Britain, Benjamin abstains, but the vote is nonetheless passed and against his father's wishes, Benjamin's eldest son, Gabriel, joins the Continentals. War with Great Britain begins. Time passes and the war ends up on Martin's front door. There is a nearby battle in which his son was fighting. His son is wounded and goes home for medical help. Martin ends up caring for American and British soldiers alike. A British dragoon, 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 I could say that, cavalry basically. A British dragoon colonel, William Tavington, arrives and captures Martin's oldest son, claiming he was a spy. As Gabriel is being led away to be hanged, Martin's next oldest son, Thomas, tries to rescue his brother, but is shot down and killed by Tavington. A grieving Martin then takes his next two oldest sons and ambushes the group of soldiers who are escorting his captured son. He rescues his son and nearly single-handedly kills the entire company of soldiers except one, earning himself the nickname, The Ghost. 
This sets up an epic cat and mouse game between Martin, who ends up enlisting in the Continental Army, and the British. Martin leads a band of militia in a guerrilla tactic style campaign against the better equipped and professionally trained British Army. Martin is unstoppable, and this leads to multiple confrontations with the ruthless Colonel Tavington. Tavington, in a desperate attempt to stop Martin, ends up killing a lot of the families and friendly supporters of Martin's militia, including the new wife of his son, Gabriel. This sends a rage-blinded Gabriel into a direct attack at Tavington to avenge his wife. The wily Tavington manages to escape after killing Gabriel. This is absolutely crushing to Martin. His biggest objective in all of this has been to protect his family. Now he has lost two sons and a daughter-in-law. Martin resigns his commission and is about to head home when he discovers an American flag that his patriotic son Gabriel had been repairing. This gives him the resolve to honor his sons and to help the Continental Army in one last-ditch effort to turn the tide against the British. At the Battle of Cowpens, Martin leads his militia in the spearhead attack against the British, who are being led by General Cornwallis, the leader of the British Army. As the battle ensues, Martin and Tavington have one last confrontation in which Martin is victorious. The battle is won and the tide is turned in favor of America. And when the war is over, Martin returns home with his remaining children to build a bright new future. The end. The end. That's some, that's some good stuff there. Let's see. Well, thanks here. for uh, listening, you guys. It's been a great show. We'll uh, <laughs> next week catch you next week. <laughs> so the reason this movie reminds me of The Matrix is no right. Uh, okay, okay. Well, actually, you know what? We're talking about The Matrix. Let me just say something real quick. Uh, the way that these guys are like freaking crack shots with muskets is unbelievable. Because jo- have you shot Josh? Have you shot a black powder rifle? Yes, it okay. was very difficult. You had to aim like straight up in the air to hit a target that was, you know, 50 yards away. Yeah, so that's why like the stories of Davy Crockett at the Alamo where him like capping somebody from 200 yards away is freaking crazy. So these, uh, the reason that like these people would line up and stuff uh, is like so they could hopefully hit somebody with that. But right. that's why the frontier fighting was so uh, intense. But the, the one thing that just kind of, I literally was, uh, I, that jumped the shark for me when I was just like, okay, that, that was unrealistic, was when Tavington is, is riding on a horse and he shoots somebody who's running away with a pistol from like 100 yards away and the guy dies. And I was just like, he's, there's no way that he made that shot. I was just like, I'm sorry, there's no way that he did that. So if Well, this- Tavington, Tavington is Lucius Malfoy from Harry That's, Potter. That is so- very true. I'm sure there was a healthy dose of black magic involved with that shot. <laughs> that Just did, saying. They cut out the crucio scene right before he <laughs> shot it. <laughs> oh, that's right. He had his wand in his other hand as he flipped <laughs> right. it over the top of the horse. I got yeah. it. That's how you do it low-key. Keep that wand got in the it. pocket. But you got to wear right. baggy, baggy pants because you got to point it without people seeing. Anyways. Classic. Classic. <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got here. So... Uh, yeah, let's... I tell you, I've been talking too much for this round. Give us some, give us some thoughts, Josh. What do you think? So this was another movie I hadn't seen in a long time, and I had a couple of viewpoints that I want to look at as I watched this movie. Uh, recently, there's been a lot of social justice protests because of people, rightly so, being tired of the police not treating black people the same as white people, namely killing a lot of them, murdering them, to be exact. So stemming back to slavery at the beginning of our you know the birth of our country and this is a movie about the birth of our country so i was just really curious not remembering a ton of detail about the movie but i was just curious how do they handle slavery in this film so i kind of had my eye you know ready to, to check that out and then secondly i did remember that you know the big part of this movie was this father and losing a couple of sons and trying to protect his family so I really wanted to watch this with the eye of a father. I have two daughters, and it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. So a lot of a lot of life has passed between then and now. Uh, that being said, so this movie opens up with this very peaceful, idyllic plantation life, and you see these happy, content-looking slaves, which maybe is historically sort of historically accurate, but. It's sad and evil nonetheless, um, but it just kind of had this 
Disney movie kind of happy feel going on, which I was very sus- suspicious of, you know, initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as as the movie goes on, you start to see um, they make it clear that Mel Gibson's character is not a slave owner; that his slaves are 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 free men, which is kind of surprising, being that this was in South Carolina, which the further south you got in the colonies. They really heavily relied on slave labor to, you know, make their money to work their crops and whatnot. So it seems a little bit of a stretch, like they were just trying to be PC about it instead of being maybe more historically accurate, mm-hmm. um, which is ironic. So I, I observed all that, wrote those these notes down, and then later I was reading some, you know, fun facts about the movie. I saw yeah. that... Uh, Spike Lee totally flipped out because of how inaccurate it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, had, I read that too. You're right. And he was very, he was very upset that they didn't just portray it the way it should have, it, that way it most likely happened. And they tried to make it PC and try to make this kind of weak sauce point about, Oh, new country, we can change things and you know, slaves can be free and everybody's equal. Yay. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty weak, and I know for sure when I watched this when I was twenty that that flew right over my head. Just like, oh yeah, there they are. Right. Yeah. Because naturally, all the good guys didn't have slaves. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know. That's just history, man. From a slave perspective, it really didn't matter who won because they still kind of lost. You were still going to most likely end up being a slave, have no rights, be traded as a third-class citizen right of the game this was one i know the reason they didn't want to talk about it is because they wanted to focus on mel gibson's character but it's it is part of what it was back in the day and the fact that they had decided they had a conversation deciding is he going to be a slave over owner is he not going to be a slave over owner mel gibson was quoted where he's like well i guess we should have just made him a slave owner then because that, that's one thing I one problem I do have with this movie is it's not historically accurate at, at right. very much in a lot of different ways. Like they do it from what I was reading it it is historically accurate with the fight sequences, but the actual story and the politics of it, which they don't really have a lot of politics in this movie, it's it's not. It's very uh, Hollywoodized. And sure. So I think so. I'm conflicted about this movie because like there's some stuff that I really did not like about this movie. But then at the same time, this movie wasn't trying to be the movie that I wanted it to be. And I thought it was from watching it when I was younger. Right. Well, when I was younger, I'm sure what I wanted to see was this awesome action movie. And I'm going to feel pumped about America. Yeah. Yeah, That's how we did it. That's how we do it. (laughs) And just, just, you know, feel awesome about it. (laughs) And that's, that's, you, you, (laughs) Hopefully you learn a lot as you get older. <laughs> so hopefully your perspective evolves. Right. And right. so I definitely had a different outlook going into this movie, aside from those two perspectives I was trying to, to view this movie from slavery and then as a father. So yeah, when we get down to rating this movie at the end here, this it definitely that comes into my decision on that. <laughs> yeah, it's good it's gonna be a conflicting I I'm actually I'm excited. This movie definitely has a lot more to talk about, like the message of the movie versus, hey, what was your favorite scene? Which there are some great scenes in this movie. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. This movie does have very memorable. I want to say I did not look this up, but whoever's the cinematographer in this movie did a wonderful job. The CG in this movie that's all in the background is like really well done. It is. It, it, is, it holds up pretty well. It does. I thought. I agree. I thought it. I thought it held up pretty well too. Because I'm. I know what I'm looking at is not there. There's no way they could that they could have done that. But they do it so flawlessly, and they had a ton of extras in this movie though, which was yeah. pretty cool. Like in one scene, they had over 800 extras there. That's pretty legit. Because I think this was before. Oh, for sure. This is before they got used to CG armies and stuff, which I think Lord of the Rings is one of the first movies that did that, which was a year yeah. after this. And uh, so it was. It was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, the, I, I agree, though. I think some of the, the melodrama, the, the cringiness was partly with the interaction between what's-his-face from Gotham and the... Oh, Donald Logue. Right, and the, the free slave that was... Which I was kind of confused, because he was counting eight months, and I was like, well, who's keeping track of your of 
your 12 months, but then you're free. Like, because you, you got to have papers for everything back then. Right. Well, I guess it was because he put his mark down on that paper that oh. Oops, Mel see? Gibson had for signups. That's the why sign up sheet. That's why we're reviewing these things to the because right. I missed that. There we go. Yeah. There you go. So let me just drop some trivia real quick. Sure. And this came out the same time as Gladiator, which Mel Gibson actually turned down the main role of Gladiator because they thought he was too old for the role. And he did this movie. So this movie came out at the same time. So let's see here. The Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger, they had both trained on the period muskets. And it looks like Mel Gibson like was able to shoot and completely reload and shoot again under a minute, which is pretty That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely a, a, a method actor in that case. Like He was legit. Sure. So he looked really pretty comfortable with the action sequences i guess him and jason isaacs practice their fight scene like oh almost, yeah almost every day the entire shoot right it's like a hundred day shoot and they rehearse it every day that's yeah dedication that's pretty awesome i gotta say shout out to jason isaacs this guy is one of my favorite uh character actors because oh, yeah he's he awesome is, he's so good and uh, you had told me this before it's such a treat when you see him in a non-villain role because yeah. he does the villain so well, but when you see him in a non-villain role, it's even more special. Oh, yeah. There was a uh, some kind of cop show. Man, I don't even remember what it was called. Oh, there goes my alarm again. Let me address this real quick. Let me, turn you, let me turn you off. I think I did. Okay. There was a police show that he was starring in. Um, oh, man, I don't even know. It might have been 10 years ago already. And he just, he was the good guy. He was the cop. And it was like alternate timelines and stuff like that while he was solving a mystery. And he would jump between the timelines. Oh, well, I know cool. what it was. He was, during the day, he was solving the case. And then when he would go to sleep at night, it was like he would wake up and he was working the case from another angle. So he was like two people working the same case day and night. Was that a was British kinda, show? No, it was American. It was on ABC or CBS or something. I think it only went like six or seven episodes, but we oh. were... Trinity and I were pretty into it, and I, I mean, mainly because we liked him from the Harry Potter movies, and right, and I, I knew he was in this one, and whenever I think of him, I think of him as Hook from the Peter Pan two thousand and three Peter Pan oh, movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I just remember that scene at the end where he's all like, "Welcome to the family, boys," <laughs> and because he also plays the dad in that movie, right? And yeah, that was pretty awesome. That was but, awesome. Let's see what else we got here. Harrison Ford actually shot down the lead role. He declined it. And he was saying that he thought that the script had boiled down the Revolutionary War to a one man's revenge melodrama, which I think he was pretty accurate in that. It's pretty spot on. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Yeah, it looks like that the screenwriter, uh, Robert Rodat, actually wrote the character of Benjamin Martin with Mel Gibson in mind. So that's... yeah. That's pretty cool. I, I have to say, this movie, comparing it again to Saving Private Ryan, it there's multiple reasons that a movie is either great or bad. It very rarely settles on one person's shoulders. Right. And in this, this definitely feels like a Roland Emmerich movie, which I was surprised at how much it felt like a Roland Emmerich movie. And compared to, if Steven Spielberg had directed this movie, it would have felt dramatically different. Because you feel the impact of John Williams... You feel the impact of Mel Gibson. He's just, right. he can, I've never seen him do a bad job in acting. Even if the movie's terrible, he is a right. phenomenal actor. Sure. And he's, he nails that family man, the father figure, yeah. usually in a very gruesome kind of movie, but man, he is so good at it. And it's kind of a side note. This is kind of a, you could almost say a tamer version of Braveheart. It's, he's kind of playing that same kind of character a little bit. Hmm. Uh, obviously the story is vastly different and, and they're both true stories. So it's, you know, or they're in, in true time periods rather. Well, I was going to say with Mel Gibson, he might be one of the most vengeful movie fathers ever. Uh, of course I got to give a, I got to give a shout out to Charles Bronson. And then of course, uh, the goat Liam Neeson from the taken movies. So, I don't know. I disagree with you there. I Liam Neeson is is nobody's goat. Like the no, I'm sorry. I just Charles Bronson set the standard, and then Mel Gibson carried on the flag. And Liam Neeson is in way better movies than the Taken series. Like speaking of which, uh, the, the yeah the screenwriter Scott Frank from Saving Private Ryan wrote and directed 
A Walk Among the Tombstones, which is a way better movie than all three Taken movies put together. Oh, I remember that one now. Yeah, that was a great movie. Yes. Yeah, that was fantastic. But it, <laughs> anyways, yeah, Mel Gibson, though, yeah, he's dang, he's in a lot of revenge movies. I mean, you got Bloodfather, right. the newest one, and then you've got... Shoot, Payback. Got Payback. Oh, that's a great film. And then you got uh, Ransom. Ransom. There yes. you go. Yeah, you got The Patriot, and I think every other movie he's in was pretty much a revenge movie with him. See, but, well, he just, he nails that, you really feel it. You feel what he's going through, like, as a father, which, yeah. and again, from <laughs> my viewpoint going into this movie of watching it as a father, maybe I just really, really connected with it, <laughs> but it it was very powerful. Yeah, I think the first time I saw him and watched the full movie with him in it was Signs, and he did such a good job in that movie too and right. so i just he's I, well he just, he plays he plays a flawed character pretty well yes you don't yes, he does unless it's a very cocky kind of character usually when he's in my i don't know from what i remember of his his roles as a father and what in different movies he's he's he doesn't pretend to be perfect right no absolutely and yeah you're right he does always play normally a flawed character even if he's having fun with it, like, Lethal Weapon, like, his whole part, we're just, like, trying to kill himself by, like, doing crazy things and right. continuing on from that. Yeah. And then, of course, Mad Max. He's another... Yeah, there there we go. It's a whole series right. of revengeful movies right there. Right. So... And he's not perfect. He makes mistakes. Yeah. It's very, it's very relatable. Yes, he is. And his, his eyes are... Carry so much emotion in them. Oh, like, yeah. It's... Yeah. That's pretty intense. Man, man, almost back to this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. The part where he he tomahawks the crap out of that soldier. Oh, yeah. His son. You feel it's like visceral. You feel his anger and his anguish, you know, over the loss of his son. It's yeah, it's tangible. Yeah. My wife uh, pointed out a good point of that scene where she was like, he's totally going into shock when he's just hacking that guy to pieces. Right, uh, because he reacted so fast with like, "Hey, let's go grab his other sons," and was like, "Let's go save our one son that we can." And then when that was over, it's like when he fell to pieces while he was hacking the guy to pieces. Right, and yeah, that's probably the most intense scene I think out of the whole movie, just of the the lo- sorrow and loss. Right, and then something that hit me too was later that night when he's tucking his two sons, the the sons that helped him, when he's tucking them into bed. There's the the older of the two. <laughs> And the way he's trying to process what happened, and he's angry, and he's like, I'm glad we killed them. Yeah. And then there's the the son that was, I guess it's his fourth oldest son, who was kind of going the other way, like, that was horrible. Yeah. I, I don't know what I just did. And he's falling apart, and he's like, I don't want to see you right now. So it just, I just wrote this note down, saying that when he talks to his two sons who helped him rescue his oldest, you see that. No matter what you try to do for your kids, you sometimes can't help but hurt as much as help. And sometimes the more you try to hold your children close, the more you drive them away. I, that seems kind of trite, but contrived, but it's it's true. You do that as a parent. You think you're doing yeah. something good, or you're trying to help one child and you end up hurting the other one. and Or you're trying to do something good for, for this child and it ends up being bad. Usually it's all done from a good place in your heart, but you just, it's part of being human. We screw things up. <laughs> ah, well, thanks for shooting down my thoughts of being a good father. So. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. So. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to life right now. <laughs> That's right. This is the end of ready to screw up. Of your death, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Hey, the Matrix. That was, that was the most legit way to bring the Matrix in. Awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I know this movie does, though, deal with fatherhood. I think it deals with fatherhood in a great way. Uh, oh, I had... Man, I'm totally going to cut you off there. No, go for it. So, one thing that I thought was very interesting. So, you see all this a father's love and trying to do the right thing and sacrifice and whatnot. And then there's a scene between uh, Jason Isaacs, Colonel Tavington, uh, when he talks to uh, General Cornwallis we see that Tavington has his own daddy issues and that his reason to win at any cost is making up for his failed family life or his failed upbringing or his dad 
lost everything and he had a crappy childhood. And yes. Now he's this savage, brutal military man. He just, you know, rains hell down on his enemies because he's angry at dear old dad. Basically. Yeah. So the point, this movie should have been called Daddy Issues, The Revolutionary yeah. War. Yes. Yeah. That's it. That's it. We need to change it. There you go. Yeah, That's we're, what we're calling it. Changing it to name right now. So, so one thing that I thought was very emotional, and it's, they didn't have to try hard. It was obviously supposed to be emotional, but you see where Martin is melting down his dead son's lead toy soldiers for shot. Oh yeah, to ki- kill his enemies. It's that was well done. It was. It was. Yeah. It was very. It was very obvious, but it it, it hits you the way it's supposed to hit you. Yeah. Um, so there was, there was that, you know, it was a necessity and it was, and it was an honor to his son who was too young to fight, but he really wanted to. Um, uh, it's funny cause, uh, when I was watching this, I didn't know any of the facts about the movie, but I, as we're watching it, I'm like, man, this really reminds me of Swamp Fox <laughs> from watching it <laughs> as a kid. So right. I finished the movie and then I started looking up some of the, the, the facts and whatnot. And then sure enough, that was one of the characters he was based off of. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of fun to see that. Yes. Uh, One thing I thought was cool in this movie, which you see this a lot in zombie films. I didn't know. You probably see this a lot lot in in war movies more now because they actually show gore. Was uh, a lot of actual amputees were cast to play soldiers who lost their limbs in this movie. Yeah. So like that scene when the cannonball takes out those guys' legs, like those were actual amputees. So I thought that was pretty cool. It was, and then that other fact that this is one of the first historically based movies that they actually brought in the Smithsonian Institute oh, yeah. to come in and fact check them on their set design and costuming and, and all of that. So it it is a good looking movie. Oh, Say what you will about yeah. oh it's too melodrama melodramatic or or any of that. It's it looks really good. The costuming, the set design, really yes. spot on. No, you could definitely pause this movie almost any time. And like, especially at the end, when they're going for those sequences where he's holding up the flag and the smoke's all around him and he's like, hold the line. And you right. want to like stand up from your couch and be like, yeah. Like right. they do, they earn those sequences and they're so beautiful and they do look like paintings. Oh yeah. Very, very stylistic and in a good way. Very historically respectful way. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of uh, historical, I think we should definitely start a campaign to bring back the bundling bag, if you <laughs> oh, yeah. recall from the movie. Right. And, uh, Heath Ledger's character is courting his future wife, and because he has to spend the night, they basically sew him up in a sleeping bag up to his neck. Right. That was. I like think- where that. I like where that's going. I think we should bring that back. Yeah. Like, being a girl dad. I fully approve. <laughs> You're like, hey, yeah, no, you can go over and watch a movie uh, late at night with my daughter. By the way, uh, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna sew you into this. Right. Except, I'm gonna <laughs> sew you into the couch up to your neck. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty funny. I, I when I watched that scene, I was like, I totally forgot about that. Like, I still to this day, I don't remember that scene <laughs> at all. And that's probably me being adult now, like being also knowing why you would do that <laughs> right but, yeah the american bundling bag the american tradition yes bring it back right it's the uh yeah it's like those blankets the snuggies except it's a bundling bag <laughs> <laughs> oh so i had a couple moving along i saw or i noticed a couple things i i don't know if it's because of swamp fox and it just got me kind of thinking disney old disney and just movies from the 60s in general but I really kind of got the vibe. Mel Gibson, to me, really felt like the actor John Mills, who played the father in Disney's The Swiss Family Robinson mm-hmm. that came out in the 60s. He just, ah, he has that that family vibe. And I guess time period, it was probably similar oh, yeah. when that was supposed to take place. So maybe, maybe that was part of it. Uh, the other part was that Jason Isaacs, just the way he carried himself and his military bearing, he totally reminded me of Christopher Plummer uh, playing the the Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, the super reserved. Yeah, type yeah, of, very, type of very proper, but very serious, very 
spot on. Very stiff, stiff upper lip type of character. Right. So, yeah. completely two different characters, but the way they carry themselves. Plus, they kind of look a little alike, I feel. Christopher I Palmer from that. from that when time he was, period of his Yeah, life. when he was super young, yeah. Yeah. Which, to bonus point right now, uh, Christopher Plummer was the first live-action Spider-Man, for, if anybody didn't know that. There was a 70s really? TV show, nine episodes. Oh. Christopher Plummer was Spider-Man in the 70s for nine episodes. All right. Apparently, it was terrible. But <laughs> Well, take take that, Tobey Maguire. Yes, you thought you were the first? No. Uh-uh. You were the uh-uh. first emo Spider-Man. <laughs> well, yeah. First and last, hopefully. <laughs> uh, well... One can hope. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, because of that, we didn't get Spider-Man 4 and 5. That's, that's true. Another, that's another discussion. Let's let's stop that right there. Yeah. We will okay. be diving into Spider-Man 2002 at some point. I will write that down because I definitely want to go into that. Yes. That is that is a passion movie for us, for sure. Right. We both hate that movie. So, uh, I mean... Uh, <laughs> 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 so, again, moving right along... This movie is so much about family and so little about the civil, that's not the civil war, the revolutionary war. Yeah. Uh, the, you just, the, the messing with family is really one of the dirtiest of, of businesses. Yeah. And there's a lot of that that happens. Uh, one part where it just out of nowhere, it just choked me up. I just, boom, tight throat. Here come the, here come the tears. But when there was the one militia man who uh, kills himself, commits suicide, Oh when yeah! He, when they ride up on his farm and it's burnt to the ground, and his wife and young son were just killed in the yard, and you see it in his eyes where his his life is over. He's he's done. There's no coming back. Yeah, and he just offs himself. And you, I, me personally, just I would be very much in a similar mindset if I were to come, you know, come upon a scene like that involving my family. It would be very tough. To not handle it the way he did. Yes, yeah, that was a that scene was one of the scenes that kind of like teared me up because that's a that was a terrible scene in the best of ways. Right, I mean it was it was well done. I yeah. completely forgot about that, probably because it really didn't mean that much to me when I first saw the movie. Uh, this movie really covers old love, new love, lost love. There's so many aspects and elements of family life, multi generational. It really runs the gamut. Again, this maybe this is why Dad liked this movie so much because of the strong, super strong family element going on. Yeah. And then another, you know, ah, dang you, director, cheap, cheap shot, easy, easy tears was when uh, Martin Mel Gibson's little daughter, who doesn't talk the entire movie because of trauma or whatnot, and then she finally calls out to him, you know, Daddy, don't go. And he turns around his horse and he comes right back in and she's crying, don't leave. That's the first time she's talked and he's been trying to get her to talk. Yeah. Good good Lord, that's a cheap shot. Yeah, that cheap, that that, uh, that crafty Emmerich, you know. Oh, man. There well, are tears on that one, for sure. Tears yes. tears happened. I uh, I didn't quite, not, not full tears, but uh, that was a sense half tier on that one for sure sure i respect yeah and maybe i don't know if that's being a girl dad or or what but that was that was brutal and you knew it was gonna happen like they set it up it was a soft toss well the thing that's but it got me the thing that's funny about this movie is they don't really for most of the movie uh they don't really present anything new it's just i think that's the power of the acting and the power of the music because yeah the the way that that is mixed together that, that makes you almost uh, tear up or tear up and cry uh, it's just it, the the feels are there and yeah. i think that's why that for me some of the the lines that were cheesy were like extra cheesy to me because other parts of it were so so well done sure i totally get that well i have one last one last little uh normal thought before we get to final thoughts oh and that's that's where i did think it was a little bit of a bummer you see Mel Gibson melt down the last toy soldier. He makes the last bullet. They're going into the last battle. You know what that bullet's for. And then that cannon goes off behind him, and he miss. He, he shoots at Tavington, and he misses. And then it sets up. More no, he he hits him. Well, he wings him. He, he should have killed him in the shoulder. Yeah, he does. But he should have killed him. That was that was supposed to be the whole point. 
So yeah. I understand that it set up the the epic hand to hand combat battle where yeah. he stabs stabs him to death, which is is great on the on the revenge scale. Oh, it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, Definitely that was good. Good points for that one. Nothing like a smoldering bayonet straight to the jugular, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. So, that was cool, but I think emotionally I was like, man, I wanted that bullet to get him. I wanted to put that bullet through his neck. That's what I wanted. Maybe, so you're saying it would have been better if, like, instead of him, maybe the, the cannon went off and he dropped the gun instead or something like that? Oh, and then picked it up later, yeah. like scrambling on the ground. He grabs it and whips it around and then blows his brains out. Something like that. That might have Something worked. like that. I don't know. That was just a little thing for me. Totally doesn't matter. So, but bouncing off of that just a few minutes earlier in the movie, I think was, I watched the making of this movie a while back, and that like the whole scene where he's running with the American flag with the spear on the end, and then he yeah. just ducks down and spears the horse, and then Tavington flies <laughs> off the horse over him. Right. That is an incredibly awesome scene. Uh, but shout out to my coworker though who has a two year old son that is he always like rides his rocking horse and for some reason he'll like smack the horse in the face and he'll be like sorry horse and <laughs> it's so like when that scene happened and he spikes that just stabs the horse that, that immediately that just all of a sudden popped in my head was sorry horse and, <laughs> and I was, it was so it was it was funny because like I'm laughing, but at the same time though that scene was cool. Like obviously that sure. was not a real horse, but like right. it was on an actual track that was going towards the stuntman, and so then when it hit it, the back of the the fake horse flipped up and that threw the guy off. Right. And such a cool sequence. Whoever thought of that, that right. was some movie making genius there. Like that was a cool scene. It was, and then boom, right back to the score. John Williams, you hear that like. Bum, 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 bum. And just that, that's like classic from Star Wars sound. Oh, yeah. Is it immediately ramps you up. Because like right before then, you're like, yeah, America, we're going to win this war. And then immediately it's like, ooh, we're in the battle. And this is right. like, this and you're is like, oh, one. crap. What is this going to happen? Are we going right. to pull it off? This is two hour and 30 minute mark. We've been in this movie for this long. This is the one time he's allowed to have finally fight Tavington. Right, and he's going at him. He goes to shoot the bullet, like you said. The bullet misses, and then you finally see that fight scene they practiced for a hundred over a hundred days. Right, yeah, it was it was an epic fight scene. That is one scene I remember from watching this movie years ago, and that movie that fight scene is definitely very very good. Yeah, it's it's well done. It definitely, I would say, it could go on a list of memorable, epic final fights. In, yeah, the know, one, between the between the the big good guy and the big bad. You know? Yeah, the one thing I would say too that I was impressed with is that I was watching the background, and a lot of times in movies when you see people fighting in the middle of a of hand to hand combat with a bunch of people around them, sometimes you can see the actors behind them like fake fighting, and <laughs> because they're just trying to keep it going because you're right. supposed to be watching the main characters. And in the background, they do a good job though of it looking like like full on wars going, right. and. I did kind of wish, though, this is just me nitpicking, is like, for example, the movie King Arthur with Clive Owen, when he's fighting Stellan Skarsgård at the end of the movie, like, they're fighting each other, and then they get pulled away, and they have to fight other people to get back to each other to, to fight right. keep fighting. And I thought that was really cool. So, granted... Yeah, movie, it adds some other elements to it, for sure. Right. But it's still, like, this movie was... That was pretty legit. So... Sure. Yeah, so I guess we should probably go to our final ratings in this uh, sequence okay. of events. Well, I have my two quick final thoughts. Sorry. Oh, me, uh, rain, on, rain on your parade there. Excuse me. Leading us to the end. So going back to one of my initial thoughts on the movie as far as how do they handle slavery. And I thought that the very happy free men together, yay, ending is a little too much of a, the happy Hollywood ending oh, Josh, to this movie. Josh, I'm honored. Honored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was the part I was like, looked at my wife. I was like, "You want some ice cream?" Like, <laughs> come on, this is like terrible, dude. Yeah. So it was it was definitely a stretch the way they tried to wrap that up. It just felt too easy. It was just kind of a terrible ending, really, compared to how. I guess it kind of goes with what you were saying about some cheesy dialogue after they'd done some other parts so well. I felt oh. like this was a very easy ending which was kind of lame 
Oh, yeah. Real quick, I just want to say the cheesiest line in the movie that struck me was Cornwallis in the house at the end that's all shot up. And he's like, he's like, this is all changed. Everything has changed. And I was like, come on, Tom Wilkerson. We know you're better right. than that. Like, <laughs> I know you did the best you could, but you should have slapped that screenwriter right then and there. So I will not say this. Right. Be like, wallop. <laughs> right. yeah. I'm sure he would use that. He probably would, yeah. And it just, yeah, that, that I was just like, oh, the movie is like, like, okay, as much as I personally thought the end fight scene was excellent, everything after that goes into, oh, everything's happy and funky dory, and oh, we're gonna right. build, we're gonna build a new nation, so we're gonna start with your house first, because you, man, you, right. man, you earned it, buddy, you did, <laughs> yeah, here we go, everybody's happy, uh, Pull yeah, out the PBR. Right. <laughs> right. I've been working on this new ale. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Paps here has been assisting me. Right. We're thinking of giving him the Blue Ribbon Award. <laughs> okay. Here we go. My last thought. So, I don't really feel like Martin is fighting for freedom from England. I feel like no. he, is, he establishes that from one of the very first scenes. He's not about that. Versus, he's fighting to keep... And to avenge his family, yeah. That to me, that's that's really what's going on. Uh, there's nothing like fighting for your family. The movie tries, I think, to make it about patriotism very weakly. I think, or or at least, you know, obviously it was marketed kind of like that. Like it's this right. great patriotic movie. It's not. No. In my in my opinion, and no, it's not. Um, and I guess you know at best for. For Mel Gibson's character, for him, that last battle is in honor of the patriotism that his oldest son felt. If there's any patriotism, it comes from the son. Right. I, would, I would say, as right. far as the family goes. Because he's done. He's cashed out. And he's like, right. you know what? Uh, forget it. Like, it's over. And he sees his son's, the flag that his son, But I, I mean, granted, they didn't explain, show him, like, that this the flag that his son has that has been patching up and stuff. I mean, maybe that's why he's like, you know, what we need to fight for the flag. But there's no political. There's really no political emotion in this movie at all, which doesn't make it a patriotic movie. Which is kind of, like, that's why we're gonna call this movie uh, "Daddy Issues" instead of "The Patriot." Sure, it doesn't earn that name at all. As far as a as a movie looking at, I don't know, fatherhood and and some drama in the family and and daddy issues like you said yeah, yeah that's great but i don't we're getting ahead to our uh critiquing this movie but that's all i had to say about that we're there anyways let's, let's here we go let, let's this, do this it. movie this movie can be patriotic yeah it could it could make you feel patriotic if you wanted to feel patriotic but i feel like this movie is definitely a matter of personal perspective i don't think it's clear cut Yes. No, I I 100% agree. That I couldn't have said it. I was trying to figure out how to say that. Yeah, personal perspective. You are going to get something out of it. The main thing this movie brings is this is about, it is what Harrison Ford said. This is about one man and that that family during the backdrop of the Revolutionary War. It always reminds sure. me. No, I can't say that. That's a terrible comparison. I was going to compare it to Gone with the Wind, but no, never mind. That's a terrible comparison. I just right. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> you right. bite your tongue. Yeah. You take it back. Yeah. You take it you back, man. Take it, take it back now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So right. final. Uh, we, 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 okay. Do you, final. Do you feel like this movie hit the mark when it came out? When it was released. Uh, yes. Let's see. So the mark was let's make some money. Yes, it definitely hit the, the hit the mark. Uh, Roland Emmerich was still riding high. Um, he still had a few years of riding high in him, and I think this movie. Also, too, Mel Gibson was still a major uh, breadwinner at this time. Oh too. yeah, so, super viable cash cow. Right. So I definitely think this nailed it straight up. What about you? I agree. I I think it was what people wanted to see, and yeah, well, didn't they, do too bad. I think I give this movie an A for hitting its mark when it was released. I think that it definitely hit its mark dead on, and it made its money back, made twice as much what it was worth. So I don't know. Sure, I, I guess mean, when it comes to the money, that's that's hard to that's hard to argue with as far as did it hit the mark when it came out. People obviously went and saw it. Yeah, yeah, so, sounds and, fair. Yeah. All right, Josh, is it still relevant today? 
Uh, again, that uh, that's where. Man, I think it's so much about personal perspective. Yeah, I I can't. I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say because it looks like oh, this is all about the Revolutionary War and patriotism and like I said, you could make it about that, but from what I saw in the movie, I don't feel like it really lands on that as far as patriotism and and a cool revolutionary war story i think it's a lot right. of cool bits and pieces kind of patched together like that flag mm-hmm. to <laughs> to make this you know the sum of its parts or whatever however you want to say that right so i kind of don't feel like it's really relevant today as a patriotic movie and especially i mean man especially with all the the social justice stuff going up and addressing systemic racism and yeah. our history of slavery totally missed the mark so that's yeah. probably absolutely does not is not it, relevant today is not relevant yeah uh i okay so what would you rate it i mean for relevancy oh for relevancy i would have to give it well i just give it a d yeah. i don't think it's a complete fail no but it's it's kind of close as far as what we I, just discussed I went in watching this movie expecting a patriotic movie, and I did not get that from this movie. Uh, I got an excellent Mel Gibson family movie, as in. Sure. Uh, so with that, which is not bad. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I give this movie a D on. Is it still relevant today? All right. Yeah. Now here's the one everybody's waiting for: personal enjoyment. What do you say? Personal enjoyment. Personal enjoyment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really enjoyed some scenes, and then other scenes, I was, I was cringing, and yeah. and the other scenes I was disappointed in. So I I gotta say I give this movie a D for personal enjoyment because as the full length movie, this is almost a three hour long movie. I will probably not be watching this movie very often. Sure. And that was not my opinion when I was a lot younger. This movie was the bee's knees, the cat's pajamas. Right. I uh, totally agree. I was super excited about rewatching it because I remember liking it so much when I right. was younger. It's it's been a while, f- you know, for me too. Right. So, so I say that, D. Yeah. So uh, D. What, what about you? Uh, that being said, I feel I feel like I wanted to give it a C mm-hmm. because it was all right. Yeah. It's pretty good. I'd like my kids to see it because there is some historical things. I mean, we really haven't watched a whole lot of anything about the Revolutionary War that I can think of. So. I, oh, think yeah, they would, I think they would enjoy this movie. And again, like the costuming takes place in the South, which is where we live now. And yeah. The visuals, cool, visual the visuals. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of cool things going on. Like the, the family aspect. Okay. The emotional ride that I took watching this movie from the perspective of a father. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed that. I, mm-hmm. it was really cool emotionally. So emotionally as a father, I give it a B. <laughs> oh, I know. I can't that, even believe I'm saying that. That is beyond that, belief. B. <laughs> it's a double B. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> Brother. Give it the BBB. Pep's I'll give this one a triple B. This is the Keystone approval, brother. Keystone. <laughs> there we are. The Matrix and cheap beer. Seems like. There you go. Know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's probably a C, but because of, like I said, watching it through the. The father lens, uh, I give it a B. So there you give have it, it ladies and gentlemen. There we go. So between the two of us combined, it is a C-rated movie right there for you folks. There you have it. Well, at least from personal enjoyment, we haven't really talked about how we're going to rate all three of these. So I guess it's, we'll just keep it three separate categories because that makes it more fun. Yeah. I don't more think real- we have in the other podcasts. I don't think we have given them an, an, yeah. an altogether rating. Maybe we should do that. We'll so try we to got, do that next episode, everyone. <laughs> so we got A for, let's see, we got A for uh, hitting the mark. We got a D for is it still relevant, and a C for uh, personal between enjoyment. personal enjoyment for the two of us. So there you have it. Well, I I ain't no math whiz, so that <laughs> sounds like a C plus or so. <laughs> On an average scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every movie looks better, uh, yeah, with the uh, accompaniment of a Pabst beer. Right. All right. Let's see what we got going on. <laughs> All right. Let's jump right into the quote from the next movie that we'll be covering for for the uh, next episode. 
So, All right, here we go. This is a two-parter. Hold on to it. The, here we go. Let's see. Do you want uh, Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Uh, let me do the first part. Okay. People needn't worry so much. It's not my time yet. This is not how I go. Really? Truly, I saw it in the eye. The old lady by the swamp? She was a witch. No, she was old and probably senile. I saw my death in that eye, and this isn't how it happens. So how does it end? I wait. <clears throat> so how does it happen? Surprise ending. Wouldn't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> you just—you did a pretty good job on that. I don't. I think I—I I, I did a terrible job, but I don't remember this character. <laughs> so. Oh, you will when you watch this. I know. I'm excited about this next one, but. Alright guys, that is, uh, that's all for today. If you want to check out the movie The, the Patriot, then uh, we, we watched it on Netflix. So it's still on there, and you can hopefully hopefully you enjoy it for your own own uh, enjoyment for the 4th of July weekend coming up. But special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. We, uh, we wouldn't be sounding this good without you. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with your friends or anyone that you think would like it. That's right. And please hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcast. Or, hey, we'd also appreciate a positive positive review or whatever on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at themidnightwatchpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for everything. You have a great week. And as always, keep up the watch.